Last week we arrived at the starting point of Jesus' ministry of preaching repentance and belief in the truth of God. We arrive at the point of Matthew's gospel where we are informed of the calling of the first disciples. And it appears as though the calling was very intentional. The first disciples that were called were, one, some of the twelve apostles that Jesus would appoint, and two, there are some of Jesus' closest disciples, namely John, Peter, and James. It was not a random selection of people by Jesus. And in talking about the intentionality of Jesus choosing his disciples, I also want you to realize that the way he went about it was not conventional. In fact, it is one of those details that is not obvious to those of a 21st century American, European, or even African or Eastern Asian uh, audiences. This would be a detail specifically picked up on by those of Israeli descent. And this has to do with the educational system in their day. The highest schooling in rabbinic training was known as Bet Midrash and consisted of rabbis debating one another in relation to different scriptures and doctrines. They would have an audience of students that would be listening in on their conversations and on their debates, and at the end of it all, the students, after having heard the different rabbis speak, would then choose which rabbi that they wanted to follow and learn from and be the disciple of. With that in mind, we are able to appreciate this scene all the more. There is a direct contrast between the traditional way that students would choose their rabbis and how Jesus selected his disciples. The men he chose were not the most educated of men. They had not been admitted into Bet Midrash. In fact, we are given the impression that they were relatively uneducated. Now, still, I do not want you to walk away from this and think that they are absolute Halfwits, I've heard accusations against the apostles, against those who wrote the New Testament, that they were uneducated, illiterate fishermen, and somehow they magically wrote these texts. No, that is not the case at all. Back in their culture, it was foundational for every Jewish boy to know how to read and write in order to understand the scriptures. And so we can assume that all of them knew how to read and write because that was just a normal part of being a boy in this culture. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case for the girls, but the girls all learned different things, all were educated in different sorts of ways, but they did not learn, in general, did not learn how to read and write. We can assume, however, that John, James, Andrew, and Peter all did know how to read and write. Despite the fact these men were not the elite, not being highly educated or being wealthy, Jesus chose them anyway. It reminds me of John 15 verses 16 and 19. This was Jesus' upper room discourse, and he reminds them of the nature of their election. He said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. That was John fifteen sixteen. The next one is John fifteen nineteen that reads, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So Jesus' selection of his disciples, as well as the recording of that event, was not just some sidebar event. It was not merely a footnote along the journey. It was an event of incredible significance. 
Based on the nature of the Messiah that the Jews were expecting, the disciples Jesus selected would not have been the types of people that the nation of Israel would have selected through its own judgments. In fact, I would argue that Jesus' selection of the people that he chose is all the more proof of his divine nature. He did not select them based on outside appearance. He chose them because God does not judge the way that humans do. He judges according to the heart, and he can cut through all the superficial nonsense that we get caught up in. He cuts to the chase and calls those who are supremely unworthy to be his own. This truth should penetrate to the core of our theology, regardless as to whether we accept the doctrine of unconditional election or not. This is a scriptural truth, and it is humbling. If you don't believe me on that, let's read 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 to see what the author has to say. It says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, this passage is particularly dear to me because it reminds me of my life verse. I don't know if you have a life verse or whatever, but I, I know that for a while there I had a bunch of friends that really were into the idea of selecting a life verse, and they would share it with us. And um, so I decided, that, okay, well, maybe I need to pick a life verse for myself as well. And after much research, after much study, after much considering my own nature and my goals for my life, I settled on 2 Corinthians 11.1, 1, which reads, I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me. Now, I know that puts more of a burden on you than on me, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So what is 1 Corinthians 1 saying? Well, it's saying, hey, you silly Christian, don't think that Jesus called you because you're so good. Don't be thinking that you earned your salvation because outside of God's grace, you wouldn't even be thinking about following God right now. Jesus preached peace, love, and repentance to the non-believing world, and the way they responded was they crucified him, all because they did not want to admit that they needed to repent from evil. So we should never get mad at God when we know that when we uh, when we think about the reality that not everybody is going to be going to heaven but instead what we should do is we should rejoice that god has deemed it good to save anybody from the fires of hell so let's return to our story in matthew and by that i mean actually let's turn to the book of luke because in Luke's gospel, we learn that more was happening leading up to the calling of the first four disciples than what Matthew reveals. In Luke 5, we learn that Jesus was preaching. He was crowded and he was, his back was up against the shoreline. And so he asked Simon, who his name is also Peter, so he's Peter, the one who was called in Matthew, to take him in his boat out to the water a little ways. 
Okay, so Simon and the others had just finished fishing. They just cleaned their nets. They were done, but they had decided to do this. But they were frustrated because they just spent all night fishing and they hadn't caught a single thing. It was a disaster. And what I like to do is read to you Luke 5, 4 through 11 to see how this event all played out. It reads, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they had signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man, for he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Aren't you glad that God doesn't call us according to our abilities? He doesn't choose us because of something that we accomplish. At this moment, Peter had just failed miserably. He spent all night fishing, doing what he was good at, and he didn't do it well. And on top of that, he lacked faith. And when Jesus called him to become a disciple, Peter's response was, Lord, you don't know what kind of man I am. I am a sinful man, and I'm not worthy to follow after you. And Jesus' response to Peter was, Peter, I know you're a sinful man. Nothing about you surprises me. I know about your failures last night, and I know in what ways you'll fail me in the future. You might see yourself as a fool right now, but I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. So if you see yourself as unworthy, well, you're correct. Don't be discouraged by that. God is the one who calls and qualifies. He is the one who makes us into fishers of men. I'd like to thank you for joining me for today's sermon. My name is Bill Sang from Faith Presbyterian Church. You can join us at 1030 on Sunday mornings. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.